Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Friday, February 5th, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. How learning to juggle is the perfect example of what happens to your brain when you learn a new skill. A new literary version of Street Fighter. Why Burger King France is handing out free potatoes. And following on yesterday's story about the fetus album, a three-year-old has written a completely delightful new album with her dad. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. So you've seen the videos of what your brain looks like on drugs, but what about your brain on juggling? In a new book called Beginners, The Joy and Transformative Power of Lifelong Learning, writer Tom Vanderbilt embarked on a one-year experiment of learning several different new skills, including juggling. He spoke with experts along the way to better understand the psychology of how we learn, especially as adult beginners. Wired ran an excerpt from the book that recounts Vanderbilt's experience learning to juggle, and I found some of the insights fascinating. So juggling, it turns out, is an exceptionally good way to study how humans learn. In fact, it's been used in a number of studies over the years, including the one that popularized the idea of the learning curve. Here's what makes it so perfect for studying how humans learn. It can be done in a lab. It's easily measured. You know, you drop balls or not. How many can you juggle? Most people don't already know how to do it, so they can learn it during the study in the lab, and it's something that isn't so hard it will make people want to quit. At least that's what Peter Beek, a researcher in human movement sciences at Amsterdam's Free University, said. I would say, as someone who has tried learning to juggle, that it is exactly the kind of activity someone gives up on learning. (laughs) But, allegedly, most people can learn it in just a few days. And compared to cumbersome other activities that sometimes get made up for these sorts of studies, juggling is actually fun. Even I have to admit that it really is. But apart from it just being a good task for human guinea pigs, Vanderbilt digs into what happens in your brain when you learn a new skill, especially a physical one. Heather Wolf, who runs a fitness organization called Juggle Fit and who taught Vanderbilt how to juggle, would emphasize to him over and over again in different ways, quote, the key to learning juggling is not thinking, end quote. You really have to get over everything going on in your head. The fear that you'll suck, the confusion about how it all works, the trying so hard to remember everything that you're supposed to be doing and getting it right, quoting Vanderbilt, The problem with beginners is that they're always thinking about themselves doing the skill. When we try to think about an overlearned skill like walking, we're likely to perform worse under the theory of reinvestment, as proposed by the motor learning expert Rich Masters. People who have had a stroke, for instance, often suffer from an asymmetrical gait or a limp. They must relearn how to walk, but because they're self-conscious of how they now walk, they think about the mechanics of walking, which only makes it look more mechanical. To learn to walk well, they're going to have to learn implicitly. The trick, as Masters has described it, is getting people to learn to move without knowing that they're learning. When we become skilled at something, it becomes automatic. We don't have to think about it because our brain, running on virtual autopilot, is constantly making predictions, and most of its predictions are true. End quote. Now, this thing about your brain making predictions really stood out to me. Paul Selnick, the director of the Johns Hopkins University's Human Brain Physiology and Stimulation Lab, explained, quote, Your brain receives feedback about what you're doing, and that takes time, about 80 to 100 milliseconds. We live in the past. 
Whatever we see now is actually about 100 milliseconds ago for the motor domain, end quote. So much of what we do is on autopilot that we don't ever notice this delay, but when something like tripping over an obstacle on a path we tread all the time happens, we have a brief moment of disconnect as we snap out of our prediction model. Or, as Vanderbilt gives, the example of stepping onto an escalator that's not currently running. When you first get on, you might feel for a second like it's actually moving, even though you know that it's not. You're cautious with that first step, because your brain, over many repetitions throughout your life, has trained itself to believe an escalator will be moving. Now, you might be thinking the key to all of this, then, is getting to the point of muscle memory. But Vanderbilt explains that's a bit of a misnomer. What's really happening when we learn skills is a motor pattern. Because when you perform an action over and over again, it's never really exactly the same. Sometimes there are big differences, like knowing how to write your name with a pen in your hand, and also with your foot in the sand. Those are two totally different muscles. But also in subtler ways. Maybe you're performing the exact same dance number again and again, but every time there are tiny, barely detectable environmental changes. And in fact, the less obvious those changes are, the less deeply you're really learning the new skill. When you have to adapt the motor pattern to different circumstances, you're enhancing how well you really know the skill. So going back to the example of juggling, Vanderbilt said he switched up which hand started the pattern. He'd practice in a different room, with different balls, while walking, while listening to music, while talking to people. And I've been given the same advice for memorizing something. You know, if you can perform a talk you're preparing to give while in a room with the TV blaring, or while walking down the street with music blasting in your ears, you're probably going to be able to overcome the various distractions you might encounter on stage when you really perform it. Because what you're doing is getting good at accomplishing the activity no matter what challenges or circumstances you encounter. As chess grandmaster Jonathan Rawson has said, expertise means running out of unfamiliar mistakes. And there are a lot of mistakes that can be made when you're juggling, especially once you progress to juggling torches and chainsaws. But fortunately, most people start out with learning on scarves or balled-up socks. That's another lesson. Make things easier at the beginning so you don't get overwhelmed. As with many new skills, a big part of juggling is getting out of your own head. When Vanderbilt first started learning, he tried to see the pattern in where the balls went, and Juggle Fit instructor Wolf told him to just focus on throwing to the corners of an invisible box. Don't worry about which ball is there or which hand is catching it, just throw to the corners and the rest will happen. In fact, with juggling, you usually don't try to follow all the balls with your eyes. You just watch for the apex where the balls are thrown, and all the rest sort of follows. Like with so many physical activities, a lot of it is psychological. That is, you psych yourself out. You know, think of working out, especially things like long-distance running. So often, your body is pretty fine to keep going, but it's your brain. Thinking about what you're going to do next, thinking that you're bored stiff of this, how long another mile feels that you just can't do it. That's what you sometimes have to fight against more than any physical challenges. And the better the athlete, the more efficient they learn to be in their movements, not being as stiff and overthinking in everything that they do. Quoting again, Novices overwhelmed by the idea of orchestrating all these movements tend to freeze their muscles, as movement scientist Nikolai Bernstein put it. They fight against their own bodies. Eventually, we learn to unfreeze the body and take advantage of muscles working in concert. We call it coordination. One of the things that people learn as they get more skillful, as Richard McGill, a motor skills expert, told me, is to take advantage of what nature provides for free, end quote. 
And as you unfreeze, as your brain is able to conquer those motor patterns more easily, time can sometimes seem to slow down, because you're not paying attention to so many things at once. And when that starts to happen, you can take it up to the next level. Start figuring out how to handle unfamiliar circumstances and fix problems when you mess up. Or graduate to more balls and eventually flaming chainsaws. And as you do, time will speed up again, and you'll likely face all these kinds of beginning issues all over again. But that's kind of the cycle. Being jolted into a new experience, soaring into an easy comfort, and then falling back to the beginning as you start something new. I guess juggling's not just a great example of how we learn, but can also be a pretty great metaphor for it as well. There is now a contemporary author version of the classic 80s game Street Fighter, and it's called, wait for it, Street Writer. Created and designed by Maxwell Neely Cohen, it's admittedly a bit niche because Neely Cohen just created it based on a bunch of his New York City writer friends and a couple of literary locales in the city. So, you know, for me, it's perfect. I immediately recognized several of my favorite haunts in pixel form that I haven't been able to visit in a year. But even if you're not familiar with the battleground options of KGB Bar, Housing Works, Greenlight Bookstore, Word, or McNally Jackson, you can still indulge in the fun of a lightly literary-themed Street Fighter II clone run on your desktop. The writers that you can choose as your fighter are Saeed Jones, Alexandra Kleeman, Chelsea Hodson, Amy Rose Spiegel, Gia Tolentini, Tony Tulitz-Moody, and Arabelle Sicardi. It's a little weird to have them duking it out with each other, but it is cool to see them in video game form, and when the three rounds are up, you get a quote from the winner on the screen, which is a nice touch. Neely Cohen says he originally made it for a show that never happened, and since he never found any other use for it, he's just released it now. Amazingly, Neely Cohen's friend Mark Klebe of Death by Audio Arcade, a DIY maker of cabinets for indie game designers, even built a Street Writer arcade cabinet. So... Dang, I hope that resurfaces at some barcade in Brooklyn in a future where we can go to barcades again. But until then, we can all play Street Writer safe at home. Link to download and play is in the show notes. If you go to a Burger King drive-thru in France right now, you will get a little gift free of purchase with your order. A two-pound bag of potatoes. It turns out that Burger King France bought 200 tons of potatoes from local farmers to give out for free to customers. Quoting Mashed, because what other outlet am I going to trust as a source on potatoes? Burger King France has purchased some of the potato surplus in order to offer both financial and moral support to French farmers who have found themselves unable to sell their produce and with tons of unsold crops on their hands. End quote. Each bag of potatoes is branded with some messaging about the campaign, with Burger King saying that this is part of their effort to help keep potato farmers chipper. The bags also say, translated to English, quote, You can help by making a resolution for 2021 to keep buying potatoes. Wedges, hash browns, roast potatoes, and mash, say yes to them all. For the love of Spud, let's make this new year a good one. End quote. This is the latest in a trend of Burger King making moves to support other businesses and industries during the pandemic. 
Despite Burger King Sweden and Denmark doing a weird horror version of Ronald McDonald in their bathrooms in October, Burger King UK actually encouraged their customers to order from McDonald's just to help out the restaurant industry and workers overall. And meanwhile, prior to the account being totally taken over by potatoes, Burger King France's Instagram was running a hashtag Whopper and Friends campaign to showcase smaller local restaurants who needed a boost during the pandemic. Yeah, I've never been a huge Burger King fan, not for any particular reason, I just never really ate there, but honestly, they're really winning me over with a lot of their global marketing. I'd love to get a free sack of potatoes at a drive-thru. I mean, that sounds absolutely delightful. And no doubt a huge help for some people whose food budgets have really been hurting during the pandemic. So a great move overall. Alright, so yesterday I covered the debut album of baby Luca Yupanqui, whose parents recorded her in utero movements and translated them into sounds on her dad's synth, which they are selling as an album called Sounds of the Unborn. Well, today I came across another album, but in this case, the precocious artist did actually play a large active role in the creation. Three-year-old Juniper Sadowitz wrote all the lyrics and chose the samples on her debut album, QQ. Choo-choo? It's spelled Q-U-Q-U, but I'm not actually certain how it's pronounced. Dad Ari Sadowitz, a musician and writer, helped produce the album, and, you know, probably did most of the work, but in comparison to Fetus Luca, three-year-old Juniper was really all over this. And honestly, the songs are pretty great. Here's a clip of the first song titled My Way. The chorus of this song appropriately for today's episode is Juggle, juggle, I'm a marble in a tunnel. I can be anything, that's my way. She then lists a number of things that she can be, including a scuba diver, a ballerina, and later in the song, a Princess Leia, and also a She-Ra. Here's the clip. This is the kind of thing I honestly love. You know, parents and kids collaborating in a way that's totally age-appropriate for the kid, giving them a ton of space to be creative and weird, but also teaching them a couple of things and then using the parents' own expertise to give it a bit of polish so the kid can see how cool it is to turn their ideas into complete projects. Anyways, you can listen to or download the entire album on Bandcamp, and since today is Bandcamp Friday, Juniper, like all artists on Bandcamp on Bandcamp Fridays, will be receiving 100% of the proceeds. No revenue share goes to Bandcamp on the first Friday of each month. And in Juniper's case, it is all going into a fund for her education. Rock on. Well, that is it for this week. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'm going to go try learning to juggle some potatoes. I hope you have a great weekend, and I will talk to you again on Monday.